Praise God. Amen. You can be seated today. So good to be here. And uh, I like Texas. I got roots in Texas, too. I told him this morning, yes, I was born in Africa, but I faded. And uh, I don't know what happened there, but something happened. But uh, my, my parents met in Waxahachie, Texas. And uh, my mom was, uh, her, her mama, immigra- my grandma, we called her nanny, she immigrated from Germany uh, prior to World War II. And uh, then she was married to a German man. My mom learned English when she went to school. And uh, then my grandpa was killed in a freak accident, run over by a train. And so my grandma said, uh, I'm moving out there to Texas next to that Assembly of God College so that all my kids will find Christian people to marry. And it worked. Two of her kids became missionaries. One of them has gone back and forth to Germany his whole life, my Uncle Richard. And then, of course, my mom and dad went to Africa. Um, but all three kids served the Lord, and all three kids found spouses from the college. So uh, God, God helped her, and the plan worked. Plus, my grandma's pretty scrappy. Uh, if they tried to do something wrong, they'd have had to deal with her. So anyhow, praise God. It's really good to be here. Last time I was here a few years ago, we went, and I found the little old house. She actually bought a house that borders the southwestern uh, property there. So I, I like Texas. I like the politics of Texas. I like your governor uh, that has some guts to stand up and to try to deal with some things. I told him earlier, I, I'll trade you, but I guarantee you're getting a short end of the stick when it comes to governors. Uh, he's a mess, and his male wife is even more of a mess. Amen? So anyhow, we'll get off of that and move right on. Amen? So it's good to be here today. Appreciate Pastor Blake and Carla just had a great time, and I said earlier, uh, it's easy to preach when there's already something happening. We don't make things happen. Some, I have been in places where I got in there, and it's like I was pushing that whole train uphill. It's not that way today, and it hasn't been this week. The Holy Ghost already doing something, and how many want to just be involved in what God does? That song that we sang, uh, I love that song, uh, and I love that line, what can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He doesn't just cleanse us. He makes us whole. He fills in the pieces that the devil has stolen out of our lives. He makes us whole again. And it feels good not just to get clean and right, but to get whole. And I found that's an ongoing process. It's, it's, it's still going on. But uh, he's here today to make us whole again. And so it's really good to be here. So if you want to turn in your Bibles... Uh, I'm going to read out of Matthew 18 here in just a minute, but um, I want to talk to you today about what, who a great person, who is the greatest is the title of my sermon today. Who is the greatest? I think it's good that every person considers and strives to be great, but in God's way. You know, uh, Donald Trump had, had the, the slogan, Make America Great Again, and it resonated with people. People were tired of being told that we're a horrible nation and everything is bad and this and that and the other. And uh, you know what? In, in every country, in every nation, there's some bad things in the history. But I can tell you this, I never owned no slaves, amen? I never, uh, there's just things that, 
that in, in every country are, are messed up, right? If you go back to any, any country, you're going to see problems and situations. But uh, the, the thing is, we want God's assessment of what is really great. How many don't want to miss out? You know, his, his assessment is very different than yours and mine. So if, if, if uh, Elon Musk came in here today, some people go, oh, my goodness, the richest man in the world is here today. Or at least he was last week. He may not be this week. But, uh, and, and, and people would think, oh, he's great. I mean, he's on, he's on a headline every single day. Somebody's talking about him, right? But can I tell you, God's not, heaven's not going to bow when Elon Musk, if he makes it in, it won't bow when he walks in. Are you with me? Because even though he's equated with greatness, that's not God. God's money is nothing to God. Are you with me? And so uh, if, if a great leader, if the president of the if, if Abraham Lincoln were here today, I'm telling you, he was a great president, but God's not impressed with him because he was president. Probably more impressed because he prayed and read his Bible. Amen. But uh, a, a great position doesn't make you great. But yet the world, how many people strive to be in a great position? You know, if Elvis Presley came in here this morning, um, uh, heaven would not bow and scrape. I love his music. I think it's, he's got a great voice. But you know what? He had a sad ending. And he wasn't great Really, in the, in the essence of his life, it wasn't. But see, yet how many people strive? How many musicians today, they'd give anything for, for their idea of greatness? Uh, you, could, you could go on and on. You could talk about Einstein and, and what we might call mental greatness. You know, I think it's a curiosity that in the Bible, IQ is not even mentioned. You know, wisdom is from God. Solomon had wisdom. But, you know, we're so big. Well, I wonder what their IQ is. Who cares? Some of the smartest people are the dumbest. And some of the dumbest tend out to be the smartest in the end of it, right? But the thing is, God's not impressed. If, I, if Einstein made it to heaven, uh, God didn't say, oh, my goodness. The guy that figured out relativity, the, he's here. Angels, get him a special seat. I mean, he's not impressed with it. So, but we, but we are impressed with it, right? In our humanness, we're real people. We see somebody, we, how many have ever been intimidated by somebody rich and famous? Because in the back of your mind, they're great and you're not, right? Something, we're just, we're human, human beings. But I want to look, how many would agree that God d- does know who is really great? And, and when, when, when we talk about making, uh, becoming great before God, it's not wrong. It's just that we got to get it right because we only have one life. We only, the Bible says that uh, uh, we are a vapor. It's short. Um, now, two men in the Bible strove for greatness. One of them got it right, and one of them didn't. I'm going to read you just a statement from both of those men in the Bible. The first one is the Apostle Paul. In 2 Timothy 4, 7, he says, I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. The crown, I think these are kind of like last words, last will and time. The, the, the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Now, doesn't it sound like Paul was satisfied with where he ended up? Doesn't it sound like Paul? He said, I, am, I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. I, I just picture a joy in him. 
He's not bummed out. He's, he's not full of regrets, right? He, he, he got a hold of the right things at the right time. But you, then you move forward to Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2, and one of the richest men, he was very popular with the ladies. He was, uh, uh, had all kinds of people coming and bowing down, and, and his wisdom was known far and wide. But listen to his last words. Everything, Ecclesiastes 1 2, everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. Now, does that sound like a good ending? No. One got it right, one figured out what real greatness was, and one failed. Now, my question is, which one do you want to be? I want to figure it out, don't you? I want to pursue the things that are truly great. Because, as the scripture says in James 4, your life is like the morning fog. It's a vapor. It's, it's here for a little while, then it's gone. So you have a, 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 a small life to find out what's great and what, what God considers great and pursue that, right? And so uh, Leonard Ravenhill put it this way. He said, you have to seize the opportunity of a lifetime during the lifetime of the opportunity. So today, how many are you going to seize that? Your lifetime is here, and you want to pursue what is, what is truly great. Now, the disciples, they wanted to know, who's the greatest? What makes you great? There's nothing wrong with, with, with wanting to be great in God's way, right? So in Matthew 18, 1, it says, About that time the disciples came to Jesus, and they asked, Who is greatest in the kingdom of God? I truly believe they were arguing about that. I truly believe they were having a little discussion away from Jesus, right? They didn't want him to hear this discussion. And Peter's saying things like, well, I walked on water. What did you do? Well, I cast out more demons than you did. Well, you know what? The last time I preached, uh, there were 3,000 people that got saved. What about you? How many? They're just humans like us. Don't look at me all spiritual, right? We're, We're people. How many have ever compared yourself? That's why the Bible says don't compare yourselves among yourselves because we have that problem, right? And so uh, here they are. They're comparing, and finally they bring the question to Jesus. Now, how many are willing to receive Jesus' assessment of true greatness today and to strive after that? Let's read it. The Bible talks for itself. In verse 2, Matthew 18, verse 2, Jesus called a little child to him, and he put the child among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, he, there are two sermons here. I'm not going to touch that second one today because we'd be here till 4 o'clock, and I don't think that would work. So I'm going to just talk about the first part of that today. It's very real. First things first. The first thing he says is, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children. So he deals with two things here. First of all, turning from your sin. Sometimes, and and that's the opposite of what a lot of us would think. Because we're impressed with people that are perfect, right? Not people that have to repent. But he says here, great people, those that are greatest, are good repenters. Those that are greatest are the ones that consistently turn from their sins. 
Now, that's an ongoing thing. So I'm going to tell you one of the first keys to true greatness is you've got to learn to, to be a good repenter, a good uh, uh, one that, that understands what genuine repentance is. See, the disciples, you know, this probably shocked them a little bit. You know, he didn't say uh, the one that's greatest is the one that casts out the most devils or, or the one that got the most people healed, right? That's all the things that we would judge by. But he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children. He's answering the question, who's great? The one that turns from their sins and becomes like little children. So let's consider that today. Let's consider what, what he's dealing with. Let's consider what it means to turn from your sins. Because there, we, we need to know what genuine repentance is. So genuine repentance, I can tell you right off the top, is, is not the Catholic version. Father, forgive me for I have sinned. Now we just go right out and do it. How long has it been since you've been to confession? Oh, two weeks. I've done this and this and this and this. And now we go back, right back out. There's no, I mean, that's just telling somebody. That doesn't mean you've repented from it, right? Just, just confessing your sins doesn't mean you've repented from them. And so, Jesus, if we're going to be great, we've got to understand. It's, it's a message today that goes begging. What is real repentance? It's, it, it's critical to everything that God does. So let's, let's consider it. It, it. In the Amplified Bible, it says, and, and, uh, and he said, Truly I say to you, unless you repent and change or turn about and become like little children... So biblical repentance is always equated with change. It's not just a word. It's not just a phrase. It's not just a slogan. But it is equated with genuine change. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's not just going through certain motions. Okay, so let's, let's consider this today. There, I believe that there are three parts to genuine repentance and again, if you'll get a hold of this, you'll be a great person. You'll be a person that, let me just tell you, we are so imperfect. And because we get saved, there, there, to be whole again means you've got to deal with a lot of things in your life. And you know what? He doesn't deal with everything in a day or it would discourage you and kill you, right? But he begins a process, and that process involves ongoing repentance. So let's think about it. The first part of genuine repentance, and this might surprise some people, is intellectual. It means you change your mind. It means you, you, you look, let me just tell you, the world justifies, you, it means you quit arguing with God. You don't know, you know, when I, as I've been raising my kids, I didn't let them argue with me. When I said it was wrong, they might have been standing up on the inside, but they weren't saying it to me. Because if I'm going to bring them to a place of brokenness, repentance, you've got to quit arguing. People argue every day. Well, I'm a boy. You, you think I'm a girl, but I'm a... No, don't argue with God. He made you male or female. And the doctors figured that out the day you was born, right? We, we argue. You're never going to win against God. He's, he's right in the end of everything. He's right. So real repentance starts in the mind... And it's, it says, where you agree, and you say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. You, you know, adultery's wrong. Living with somebody when you're not married. People argue this all the time. Well, you know what, I love them, and, and God doesn't know. You're wrong. 
Fornication is wrong. God says it's wrong. Homosexuality is wrong because God says it's wrong. Your pastor or your church didn't come up with that. God came up with that. Hate is wrong. Prejudice is wrong because God says it's wrong. Are you with me? So it starts with the intellect. You have to get in agreement with God. You have to get in agreement with God. Uh, I was reading some, some commentary on it, and, and, and the, the Greek word, uh, it means that you're changed. That word is, a, is a, a two-part word. It means you're changed after being with. You, you walk away thinking differently after you have with the Lord. Now, have you ever been with somebody and you thought one way about something, and you got with them, and after spending some time with them, you went away and you thought differently about something? Maybe uh, it could be something like uh, what food is good for you and what food is not good for you. And you spent some time with that person. You walked away and you thought, hmm, I'm not going to eat that no more. Or I'm going to eat that, right? And so, uh, you, you, but you, you changed the way that you think. Thinking uh, has to be touched. I mean, you know, God gave you a mind. Your intellect is very important. The will is, is formed in that. It's you, you've got to get your intellect lined up with God's intellect, right? And, and when men think that they can oppose God, uh, you know, I always think of the story of Billy Graham and... Uh, Somebody help me out. What's the guy that w- was his counterpart that ended up backsliding? Who remembers that guy's name? He was a great preacher, same time as Billy Graham. No, no, none of those guys. This was Yonza, what'd you say? Okay, anyway, you know, we'll, we'll leave it at that. But he, there was a guy, he was a tremendous preacher, preached to crowds as large as Billy Graham's, a lot in Canada. Anyways, he got all intellectual. And when, he, uh, when, when things happened that he couldn't explain, let me tell you, God's not going to explain everything to you. Just accept it, and down, what, what you need to know down the road, he'll show you. But this guy got all intellectual, and he told Billy Graham, can you explain to me why God let all those Jews die in World War II? And he got off on all those things, and he began to argue with God. Let me tell you, he ended up a sad empty shell of a man that wrote some worthless books that nobody even cares to read. But Billy Graham, on the other hand, we all know about Billy Graham. We all revere the man today because Billy Graham, he said, I, don't, I can't explain it. I don't have to explain it. I just have faith in God and I leave it with him. That's where you're not arguing with God anymore, right? So you, it begins with your mind. He, he says, it's dealing with my thinking errors. You say, oh, I, I don't have any thinking errors right there. you got a thinking error. Because are you perfect? Do you understand everything correctly? I, you know, uh, uh, I think very differently today than I did about marriage when I was first married. I've learned some things about how to treat my wife, right? I had some thinking errors. How many know what I'm talking about? Some of you have them too. Thinking errors. You got some thinking errors? Well, repentance means we stop thinking wrong about certain things. We stop thinking wrong about, some of you grew up thinking wrong about race. And, and, and you, in your mind, somebody was less than you because of a skin color or any of that. But you're wrong about that. Because the Bible says God looks on the heart. He could care less about the outside skin color, right? You know, I, it's crazy. Our church is about um, a third Native American, a third Hispanic, and a third uh, Pines 57 white. Amen? 
And so uh, I don't even notice those things. You know, when God gets in and you think right, color doesn't exist to you anymore. I understand there's cultural things we deal with, like with the, with the natives there. There's, there's different cultural things that we have to deal with um, in that area. But you know what? When, when God gets your thinking right, it's, it's not an issue. And so you got to change the way, you, you know, sometimes we're grown up and, and our, our thinking in our families was wrong. Say, well, my mama taught me this. Well, maybe your mama needed her thinking changing. And you can't change her, but you can change you in the next generation. Are you with me? So you, you have to get on board with the thinking that is right. See, at, at Pentecost, Peter's preaching to a huge crowd of people, and they all thought they were good people. See, there's your thinking's wrong right there. You ever witness to somebody, let me tell you about Jesus. Well, I'm a good person. Wrong. You better reassess that statement. You're not a good person. You're a sinner. You've broken probably every one of the Ten Commandments. You, have you ever thought a lustful thought? Then you, you've committed adultery. Have you ever lied? The Bible said you lie, you, you actually become a murderer. Are you with me? So you have to, uh, so Peter's preaching to this crowd of nice Jewish folks. And, and so he, he says in Acts 2, verse 36, he says, Let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, watch this. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. No matter how good they thought, all of a sudden they got a revelation. I am not so righteous as I thought I was. That's a good place to start for all of us, right? They were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? How I many you know they, they saw something that day? What shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So, the first part of repentance is it goes into your mind and the way you think, and you've got to come into agreement with God. He will put his hand on things in your life. that, And, you know, sometimes they're not even big, blatant, what we might call big, blatant sins. They're just things that God says, don't do that. I don't want you to do that. I'm changing you. And uh, the Bible says... He who knows to do good and doesn't do it to him, it's sin. And so you begin to listen, and he begins to define things, and you stop arguing with God. We all like to argue. You know, how many have uh, seen that, that little video? I call it But Linda. Little boy, and his mom is trying to correct him. He, but Linda, no Linda. He calls her honey. Honey, like his dad, he's been listening to his parents. And, and, and she's, she's like, no, you're going to get pow-pow. But Linda, now listen, Linda. We don't listen, Linda, with God, right? There's no argument. So when God talks to you, the first thing you got to do is humble your heart and say, oh, God, my thinking's got to change. My thinking's got to change. My, I, my family maybe was this way, but my thinking's got to change. I might have thought that. I might have been on this track or that track, but my thinking has got to change. And, and we quit arguing with God. That's the first step of repentance. The second step of repentance is God touches our emotions. When God deals with us, remember, we're looking at what makes us great. God's not going to beat you down today. He's going to lift you up. 
in a supernatural way. Because people that learn repentance walk in freedom and liberty. And he's going to lift us up. So, But the second part is this. Repentance is not just this dry, unemotional thing. God gave you emotions. And part of repentance is when you let God bring you to that place of brokenness. Where your own wretchedness becomes wretched to you. Right? This is scriptural. It says in 2 Corinthians 7.10, For godly grief. Everybody say godly grief. Say it again. Godly grief. You don't hear TBN preachers saying, I'm going to talk to you about godly grief today. But it's, the, it's needed. He says, godly grief produces repentance. And it says uh, that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For, uh, for see what earnestness this godly grief produced in you. Paul had confronted them. This is a tremendous example because in that church, there was a man that was just living in sin. He was actually sleeping with his, uh, not his biological mother, but probably his stepmom. And they were sleeping together, and everybody in the church was just overlooking all of that and pretending that it was okay, and Paul confronted them. He said, your thinking's wrong. Your thinking's wrong. He said, you don't give that man the right hand of fellowship. You confront him. And if you remember the story, they kicked the man out of church. And then what happened is what should happen. He repented. And now Paul's going back, and he's saying, the day I confronted you, you guys all felt bad because you had, you had whitewashed something that shouldn't have been whitewashed. And as a result, here's sin going on. Let me tell you, if there are certain things you have to deal with, or they infect everybody. In the church. I had years ago when I was pastoring in, in Mesa, Arizona, and uh, I had a whole bunch of people that had gotten saved, and all of them were shacking up together. And so uh, I got up one morning early, it was on a Wednesday, and I, I, I worked a full time job, and I was getting ready for work, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, It's time for you to deal with this. And so I thought, I said, Lord, I said, it's Wednesday. I've got to go to work. I said, I need a good sermon real fast. So that one's on you, Lord. Help me. And I sat down, and I ju it just poured out of me. And uh, I, I, I dealt. And then I said, Lord, secondly, when we go to church tonight, it, this sermon's not going to do any good if the people that need the sermon aren't there. So you need to bring every fornicator to church tonight. Every person that, and so we showed up on a Wednesday night. It was packed. Every one of those couples was sitting right there. And so I let her fly that night. I preached the truth in love, but I preached the truth. And, you know, uh, it, it made people mad. One guy threatened to, to, to shoot me. He said, I'm going to go home and get my gun. And uh, you know what? We had uh, at the altar call, it was a stare down. And uh, they, they were not broken. But you know what? God did a work ultimately out of that. Many of those couples ended up getting their hearts right ultimately. Even though they left our church right then and there, which was fine. You know what? Because there was just like a, a cleanness in the whole church. There was a breath of fresh air. I didn't want to see him go. I wasn't trying to run people off from church. But God dealt with me because he says certain things are right and certain things are wrong. And Paul says here, he says, when I dealt with you, Paul says, you know, I, it was painful for me to do that. You know, sometimes when you have to deal with stuff, it's painful for the pastor to have to deal with it. You ever told your kids this hurts me more than you? And they roll their eyes, but it really does. As a parent, I mean, there are some times where you just flat want to get them. Right? Let's be honest. 
There's sometimes when the pow-pow feels as good on one end as it does bad on the other. But, but the truth is, you know, when you deal with your kids, you really don't want to hurt them. And uh, as a pastor, when you have to deal with things, it's not pleasant. It's not that you want to run people off. You just know if you let that thing go, you're going to have a whole church filled with fornication. And that produces all kinds of negative, terrible things down the road. And Apostle Paul is dealing with them. And he's saying that this godly grief has is produced in you, but also what, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, and what punishment. So we need godly grief. We need brokenness. I'm telling you, there's times when you're going to feel your own wretchedness. That's a process that you need to let work in your life. It's, we can't just, we need to understand that our sin put Jesus on that cross. We need to understand that it, it cost him something. He can't just say, your sin doesn't matter, I forgive it. He had to pay to forgive it. His blood gave him the right to do that. His life. Father God sent his only son so, that, so we cannot be glib about that. Let me tell you, there's something strikingly dark when, when people have no remorse. I saw a news article just this morning or yesterday, and it was this girl, and they, they showed the footage when they told her she had, was driving drunk or something, and she killed a couple. And they told her, and it shows her just laughing about it. You know, that's like, ugh, that's just dark. That's something seriously wrong there. But, you know, we can laugh. We can have, God has to bring us to that place. I've had many times when it's like, oh, God. How many know what I'm talking about? You feel the wretchedness of that emotion, that, that weeping, that sorrow. It should be there. Paul told him, he said, you had a godly grief. And that's, that's a part of real repentance. Matthew, when, when Peter messed up, how many of you remember? You know, all the disciples messed up, but we, we know a little bit more about Peter's. And the Lord told him, and he says in Matthew 26, then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I don't know the man. Remember, he's in the courtyard. They're, getting, they're killing Jesus. And Peter's out there, and they say, you're with him. And he denies the Lord after he swore he would never do it, even if all the others did. And it says, and he says, I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered, I am telling you, when you remember at that moment, Peter's heart broke. When he heard that rooster crow, his sin came home to him. And it says, and before, he says, he says, and, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. How many get that? That's real repentance. His emotion, he was a broken man. In fact, he was very broken, and, and he stayed broken for probably a period of days and maybe even weeks, and Jesus actually sought him out later. He says, go tell the disciples and Peter. He was telling Peter, Peter, it's going to be all right. You know why it's all right? Because he repented. He, first of all, he changed his way of thinking, and secondly, he was broken. There was an, an emotional response. You know, we, we try so hard. There are so many Baptists today that are afraid of a little bit of emotion. I've seen crazy things in church. I grew up in Pentecost. I mean, I've seen people 
crazy things. When I was uh, in this church I grew up in, we had, uh, uh, you have to understand, in Cortez, there's not many uh, African Americans. And, and, uh, but in this church, we had two ladies named Lulu. And there was a white one and a black one. And uh, the spirit would start moving. And black Lulu would hop up out of her seat and just take off and just give this war hoop. And around the church, she'd run. And then she'd get white Lulu stirred up. And she'd start, I saw one day she flipped her head back and her wig through two benches back. You look at me, I'm telling you the gospel today, the truth. Well, the gospel's good news. I don't know if it's good news. But anyhow, it was entertaining, I will tell you that. But I've seen all, I've seen crazy emotions but I'm telling you, we're not called to be dead, dry. We need to weep before the Lord. We need to cry. We need to be broken. When we're, when we're ashamed, it's okay to show, to hang our head and say, God, I'm so sorry. When, it, when the weight of our sin, we need to feel the weight of our sin. That's, imp- that's an important part of repentance. Peter wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. James 4 8 says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I'm telling you, when you let God break you, he'll heal you. I've seen people. I've seen people. I had a man one night come to my door just broken, going through some things. He was wrong on some things. He, and, and he had done some wrong. And, and when, I, when I answered that door, tears pouring down his face. Broken. That's good. That's not bad. You know, Jim Simbla's daughter her Chrissy, she had backslidden. She'd put that family through the ringer, that church through the ringer, Brooklyn Tabernacle. And, she, and, and, and they prayed. There was just an intense prayer one night. And a lady brought a prayer request to Pastor Simbla. And she said, God told me where to pray for Chrissy tonight. So that church called out. He hadn't even been talking about her because she was such a mess. They didn't even know if she was alive or dead or where she was at. And that night they prayed. And the next morning, he was shaven, and there was a knock at the door. And his wife said, you need to come down here and see this for yourself. So Jim Simmel comes down the stairs. Carol's there, and, and she, there on her knees was Chrissy, broken, sobbing. She said, I don't know what you guys did last night, but God broke my heart. God changed me. And you know she's a pastor's wife today. Why? Because sorrow came. Sorrow came. I saw my son. God changed him in one night. And the next morning, I, I prayed. I was in desperation. I was fighting with him and dealing with him. And, and he was resisting and rebelling. And that night, God spoke to me by the Holy Ghost, and he said, pray that I'll capture his heart. So we just prayed. My wife and I agreed in the bedroom. But when I came out in the morning, I was making coffee, and he came out of his bedroom. He said to me, I don't know what happened, but God changed my heart last night. But here, here's, here's the proof. There were big tears in that big teenage boy's eye. 
There was brokenness in his spirit. He's not, he's a John Wayne type. Didn't come easy for him to cry. But you know what? There was brokenness in his heart. And you know what? Today he, he's still on track for God. He's preaching, I guarantee, an excellent message there in Cortez today. Somebody said, Godly sorrow results from a heartfelt conviction that we have offended God by our sin. Such a burning conviction produces in our hearts godly sorrow. As we look upon him who was pierced for our sins, we are deeply grieved in, in spirit. And we resolve within our hearts that we will, with the help of God, cease to do evil and learn to do good. So you need your intellect, but you need your emotions today. And that's a part of repentance. The last part of repentance is this. It's actional or, or volitional. So repentance is more than intellect. It's more than emotion. I've seen those two parts come and still not produce real repentance. I've seen people come and, and cry and snot at the altar and all of those different things, and then I've seen them go right back out, but they change absolutely nothing. So here's, if you want real repentance that makes you great, here it is. It, Isaiah 1, 16 says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove, remove the evil of your deeds from before your eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. I mean, there's a lot of action here. Seek, learn, put things away. Correct, uh, uh, he says, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. He's talking about actional change. When you repent of something, it means you make a plan to do different from that point on. You know, I, I grew up, uh, in, and when we saw people saved, when, you know what? It was not uncommon for them to bring their drug paraphernalia or whatever and leave it because there's an action. Don't, don't say, God, deliver me from the cigs, but I'm going to keep the ashtray just in case. You're not, you haven't repented yet. Repent means I'm done with this. And it is, what I'm telling you is absolutely biblical. In Acts Chapter 19, verse 18, this is what, when real repentance happens, this is what happens. It says, many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and they burned them at a public bonfire. And the value of the books was several million dollars. That's a whole lot of repentance going on. Several million dollars of paraphernalia. And it says, so the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. When we repent, it means we make a plan to do differently from that, way, that, that point on. And that's, that's both for, for uh, uh, in sins of commission and sins of omission. If you repent from prayerlessness, then you're going to make a plan to pray, right? You're going to set that alarm clock the night before early enough where you can start spending some time in prayer. Don't just repent and say, God, I'm sorry I haven't prayed. No, make a plan and start praying. Are you with me? And when you do that, the Holy Ghost helps you. You can't follow through on your own, but when you, without a plan, you know, God directs moving ships. You have to be moving. You have to have a plan, and you, you begin to make some decisions. They hauled them out. They cleaned their house. When you serve God and you make a you say, I'm going to stop fornicating, that means you move out with that person unless you want to get married. Are you with me? You make some plans. That means you make a decision to do what is right. 
I, I, I've seen some, some pretty, there was a guy in our church, when the church first started, his name was Roy, and he had a, a, a famous record collection in that area. Everybody knew about this big, he had all the, the, the unique albums and the unique artists. And when he got saved, he had worked at, at a record store. And so when he got saved, God dealt with him, and he's, he came to the pastor. He said, I'm going to burn him. Oh, people had a fit. They, they labeled us a cult. They're over burning thousands of dollars worth of, of priceless records. But you know what? The man made a decision. And he followed it up. He didn't sell the trash to somebody else. He took all that godless warp music, and we put it, and we had a great time. <laughs> there were a lot of black smoke going up that day. But can I, can I tell you that it's biblical? I don't know what actions you need to take today. You know what? If, you, uh, if God deals with you, maybe he deals with you about forgiveness. And you, and you need to forgive somebody today. I, that was me. I was bitter towards my dad. And I had uh, my pastor preached on forgiving and walking in forgiveness. And I made the mistake of talking to him before I left church and at the door. And I told him, I said, yeah, my, my, the Lord kind of dealt with me about my dad, but my dad needs to apologize to me. And he looked at me. He said, why don't you go to your dad and ask him to forgive you? It made me mad. What kind of preacher is this telling me I need to repent? And so, but you know what? I, I felt the Holy Ghost in those words. And so I went immediately. I, 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 so I, I kind of was going to brush him off. He said, Jonathan, you ought to do that right now. It's like, gosh, this guy's not letting up on me, is he? So I left the church. I went straight out to my parents' house that day. Because can I tell you, bitterness and unforgiveness is a sin that will eat at your life. And I went out that day to my dad's house. And he had done his own thing. Let God deal with them. You deal with you. You and the Holy Ghost can only work on you, right? So I went out. My dad was sitting there in the living room. And I just walked in. I still remember exactly what he looked like. And, what, and I sat down in that chair. And I said to my dad, I said, I, I came to ask you to forgive me. Because I had disrespected him. I had fought. The Bible says, honor your father and your mother. And I had not done that. And so when I asked my dad to forgive me that day, tears welled up in his eyes. God healed something there. He went on to be with the Lord years ago. Uh, but I'm telling you that out of, out of all of, there was four, four of us kids. My brother died years ago, but my two sisters are still. Out of all of us, I ended up having the best relationship. I still speak the best of my dad today because I think God healed something there. The wrongs didn't matter. God washed all that stuff away. And you know what? All I, I, I'm, I, I don't, it's not rose-colored glasses, but I just hung on to the good things. You know what? Because even when people have some bad things, they have a, can you tell your, your parents sacrificed for you? They, pour, they, they did things for you that you don't even many times understand or realize. But I had to have an action. If I had not gone that day, if my pastor hadn't dealt me on that, I think I would have just blown it off, and I wouldn't have what I had today, which was a genuine healing and forgiveness, but I had to follow through with it. Are you with me today? Does that make sense? Actional change. In, Paul told King Agrippa that he should repent and turn to God, Acts 26, 19, performing deeds in keeping with his repentance. 
See, we're so afraid of works. Oh, if, if I tell you you need, that's just legalism. No, that's called fruit of repentance. There's a difference. You're not earning your forgiveness. The blood of Jesus is the only thing that can accomplish that. But forgiveness has to produce action. I mean, repentance has to produce action. There, there are actional things. He says, performing deeds. So today, if God deals with something in your life, what deed do you need to perform? What plan do you need to make? What, what, who do you need to go to and say, I'm really sorry I did that? You know, we, we don't talk about things, but, you know, if you stole, steal no more. And in some cases, you ought to give it back or you ought to make it right. I realize some things are so deep that we can't resurrect everything. I learned it early on. Um, I, I, I dealt with a girl in our, in our church, and, and uh, she was fighting with her ex-husband. And, uh, and she went one night, and she burned his huge shop down to the ground. And then she came, and she told me about it. Put me in kind of, and so you know what I did? I let her not deal with that. It was a mistake. I should have said, you know what? Her name was Mitzi. I should have said, go confess it and deal with it and God will help you and she didn't she she lied about it. I don't, I, but I'm telling you she never did good after that you know why because there was no action she might have said she was sorry whatever but sometimes you have to let God work I, it's complicated but I'm just telling you that sometimes there's an action you need to take you want to blow somebody's mind return something that they didn't even know you stole or something you know, I, I, have you ever had God just really put you on the spot about something? One time I was in the post office, and I talked. I don't remember what happened, but something, something, that post person got real belligerent and rude with me, and I got right back in the middle of them. And uh, I was a preacher, too. <laughs> I'll be real honest with you. I, and so I just told them the way the cow ate the cabbage, and, and then I w- walked out of the post office, and I got right outside the door. And the Holy Spirit just confronted me and said, really, really, Mr. Bland, is, is, that, the, is that the kind of person that I've called you to be? And I, I thought, oh, God, I'll be dealing with this. It'll be weighing on me. It'll be, I thought, what do I do? And the Holy Ghost spoke. He said, go right back in there and apologize in front of everybody. It's like, ah, I did it. I went up. I waited in line again, got through the line. And that woman's looking at me like, is he going to pull a gun? <laughs> I got in that line, and I said, you know what? I'm just here to say I'm really sorry I acted that way. That was uncalled for. And would you forget? And you know what? I guarantee you to this day she remembers that. She remembers that. Because, but can I tell you, it was right for me to follow through and to say I'm sorry. You know, sometimes that's the action. I'm sorry. It does wonders in marriages. Amen? Don't just sweep everything under the carpet. Go to her, go to him, and say, I was an idiot. Would you give, forgive me and let's try it this again? How I many you know there's some healing that can happen? So there has to be action that, that you should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with your repentance. And the last thing here is in Ephesians 4.19, it says, They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, uh, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and, and taught him at, as the truth in Jesus to put off your old self. Okay, repentance ultimately ends up here. You put off 
the old self. How many know it's like clothes? You don't just put on clothes. I mean, just think how you'd look by the end of the week. You don't take off anything, just put on clothes. You might get by with it in Alaska, but you'd die here, right? You don't just put on clothes and put on clothes. No, you've got to take off some clothes if you're going to put on some clothes. And so he says you put off, um, uh, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Going on. Therefore, having put away falsehood, that's lying. It means you're determined, I am not going to be a liar anymore. Oh, you know, that lying spirit's very subtle. We just kind of shape things to our benefit. That's called lying, right? But we, and it, it can become habitual. How many know what I'm talking about? We just, we just kind of shape things the way we want people to see them. He says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. So you've got to put away that anger. You've got to quit chasing people down the freeway and trying to run them off the road. Amen? Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That means you deal with some things in that marriage before you go to bed. And give no opportunity to the devil and let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. It means you just get a job and you start working instead of mooching. You know, sometimes people steal from the government. Just because welfare's there doesn't mean it's for you. If you can work and you can labor, do that. You'll feel better about yourself. I understand it's there for people that need it. I thank God that we live in a country that has that benefit. But we're not called to work the system. We're called to, to look to God. He says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. It means that you decide, I'm not going to be a foul-mouthed person anymore. I'm not going to look at that trash on my phone anymore. I'm done with this. And he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. How am I going to we know we need to put some things away. With all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted to one another, as God in Christ forgave you. It's, you know, when God begins to deal, you begin to see things you didn't see before. I mean, willing to let God show you things you need to see. Um, you know, years ago, they, a vacuum cleaner salesman came to Robin and I, and they're trying to sell us a vacuum cleaner. And, and he says, well, you know, Robin says, our, our house is clean, and my wife is a clean freak. It's very clean. But she, uh, the guy said, Where's, take me to your, your bedroom. And he says, now pull that sheet off of that bed. And he took that uh, vacuum cleaner, and it had a filter in it, and he began to vacuum that mattress. And, oh, my goodness, all the, these dead skin cells started going to that vacuum cleaner. They knew exactly what they were doing. And you know what happened? I, we began to see all kinds of stuff we didn't even know was there. And, again, we're, she, she's a clean one. Those sheets are changed once or twice a week. I don't, that's the way my wife is. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, God knows there's dead skin cells in your life that need to be dealt with. And when he shows you, he's not trying to hurt you. Because after you, you, you don't want to get in bed with dead skin cells after that. That's why you bought the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> Are you with me? So we, we let him show us and deal with us again. And when you repent, you'll feel so good. And you will become a great person. 
You will be great before God. He Again, the, the great people are the ones. You see a person, my, my grandma, Holy Ghost, the little German lady I talked about, she was 98 when she died. And she served God, but, you know, she dealt with things. She, you know what, you don't get there without doing a lot of repenting along the way of attitudes, of word, of actions, and it keeps us clean, and it, and it feels good, and it feels right. And when you're around a person that's like that, there, there's not the icky feel. There, there's nothing there. It's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. So every one of us today ought to consider those things. We ought to consider the intellectual part. Don't argue with somebody today. God's saying, quit arguing with me. There's something in your life he's put quit arguing with me. Number two, some of you, God, you need to allow God to break you today and just weep. There's cleansing in that kind of repentance. I tell you what, I couldn't, when I was first saved, I was hard in my heart. I couldn't cry. And I told God, I said, Lord, I need to be able to cry again. And he did that. He, he brought that out in my life. And then the last thing is, when you get up and you move forward and say, okay, what needs to be put away? And what needs to be put in its place. Amen. Let's bow our heads today for just a moment. Great people. I believe there's greatness in this place today because there's people. And you say, you know what, God? I want to be a repenter. I want to be one that repents and turns away from things. And so today, let me ask you a very important question, a very serious question. If Jesus was going to come back within the next 10 seconds... Let's just say we were counting down, 10, 9. And if he was coming back within the next 10 seconds, is there any question at all that you are right with God? Is there one thing that God's put his finger on? Is there sin, undealt with issues in your life, and you really question whether you are right with God? Maybe you've never been saved. Maybe you're a backslider, but you'd slip your hand up right now and say, I'm just going to be honest with the Holy Ghost today. He's touching my heart. He's speaking to me. You'd slip your hands up very clear. You're doing that as unto the Lord. You're saying, this is me, God. This is where I'm at. I need prayer. I see some hands going up today. I need the Lord to help me. Oh, let me tell you, there's shame when we hold it all in. There's, there's glory and help when we just get honest. How many others, you'd raise your hand and say, you know what, I'm really not where I need to be with God. I, there's things in my life. I've gotten cold in my soul. I've gotten dry. I've gotten rebellious. I've turned away from God. I've okayed things that I know God is not okayed. How many others, you just slip your hand up. I see, thank God for just honest hearts. Hands are going up today. Let's all stand in this place today. Now, in a moment, we're going to come to this altar. If you raised your hand, I'm going to challenge you that in a moment that you'll just come and just pour your heart out to God. Bring whatever it is to Jesus today and talk to him about it. But I want to pray a prayer right now. And even those that might be listening online today, if you will in sincerity pray this prayer, the God of heaven will flood your soul. You will be a different. I mean, the day I got saved, I felt physically lighter. I felt like I had a backpack that got cut off of my back. I just felt light and full of light and life. It was wonderful. Let's pray. Everybody here, today, let's pray this prayer together. In Jesus' name I come. I ask you to forgive me, God, of any, every, and all sin in my life. I'm not going to argue with you. You are right. And I am wrong. Cleanse me 
Give me a new heart and a new life. Wash my mind. Wash my spirit by your precious blood. I know you died for me. And I know that in this very moment, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.